Hello, and welcome to episode two of Unmade Dream Projects, a show where I produce scripts I always wanted to exist as podcasts. It's much cheaper, and now it exists. I'm your host, Matt Levy, and this is a script about a show that did exist. The 1980-81 season of Saturday Night Live. I have always loved this weird season that not a lot of people know about. If you're not aware, the first five years of the show are considered untouchable. It's the John Belushi, Gilda Radner, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Garrett Morris, Lorraine Newman, Jane Curtin years that people can't get enough of. Then they cleaned house. We'll get into that in the podcast, but the season did not go as planned. At the beginning of the pandemic, I read everything I could get my hands on about the season. Most instrumental was Saturday Night, A Backstage History of Saturday Night Live by Doug Hill and Jeff Weingrad. I read the oral history, I read blogs, I listened to podcasts, and I just had a wealth of information. And I figured, it's not exactly a movie, but it could be a live show, a play. So I decided, let's make this thing. I met with a friend named Matt Starr, who helped me shape and form this kind of random idea into something that had an actual structure and backbone. And then I just started writing. I took a lot of creative liberties to make the play a bit more cohesive and entertaining. Uh, True fans of the show will definitely catch a lot of things that were conflated or rearranged to give this podcast more of a flow. And still, it could be better, but that's why it's an unmade dream project. This podcast that I ended up recording was recorded on year one of the pandemic on my birthday. I brought in a bunch of actors for a cold read and they all crushed it, one-take wonders. In fact, at one point, Dave Colombo stepped in to play Pee Wee Herman after I hadn't cast anyone in that role whatsoever. The cast of the play is made up of a lot of ringers. We had doing stage directions, Usama Siddiqui, playing Don Pardo, Jeff Ayers, playing Denny Dillon, Charlene Tilton, Robin Duke, Gail Mathias, Catherine O'Hara, Anne Risley, Anne Laurie Metcalf was Anna Payone. Playing Charles Rocket, Mr. Bill, and Tim Kazarinski was Gianmarco Cerezi. Playing Fred Silverman was Lawrence Payone. Playing Dick Ebersol was Michael Margettis. Playing on the hero of our story, Gene Domanian was Lauren Vino. Playing Gilbert Gottfried, Chevy Chase, and Lauren Michaels was Steve Gerard. Playing Eddie Murphy was Nico White. Playing Jim Carrey, Elliot Gould, Del Close, Al Franken, and Tony Rosato was Dave Colombo. Playing Captain Beefheart, the lead singer of Fear, and the audience member, Russell Dolan. And finally, playing Joe Piscopo and Michael O'Donohue was Joey Saunders. Just a heads up, there are a few F-bombs in this play. There are a few lines that are not entirely politically correct. This is the 80s, man. Different time. We had about 20 audience members listed in, friends and family, and now you. This is my feature-length play, 
1980-81, The Lost Season. A narrator, Don Pardo, speaks over the dark room. The year is 1980. Every cast member, writer, producer, and director has left Saturday Night Live. Lorne Michaels, the creator, wanted it that way. He wanted the show to meet its end. Five golden years and they were out. NBC didn't want the show to meet its end. The next season did not go as planned. This is the story of that curiosity of a season of television. It's presented in a somewhat accurate way. We've changed bits and pieces for your enjoyment. The show starts in 10 seconds. Don then yells hoarsely. Five seconds! Lights up. On stage is a short, blonde woman. She is Denny Dillon, SNL cast member. She wears an S&M bondage outfit. Good evening and welcome to the Leather Weather Report. She pauses for laughs. I am your Leather Weather Girl, Thelma Thunder, and this... She walks over to a map of the United States partially obscured by a man, Charles Rocket chained up by his wrists and ankles wearing leather pants, a harness across his chest and a bondage mask. Is our weather map, Johnny? Hello, everybody. Shut up. Maps are to be seen, not heard. There's going to be a high pressure in the Midwest for most of next week. She strikes Johnny's chest with her whip. She writhes from the pain. Ouch. Sweetheart, what do you want from me? More. Hit the me. actors go silent in the... Lights go up on Fred Silverman, 60s, and Dick Ebersol, 40s, sitting together in modern yellow chairs on another stage. They are lost in thought. Burn it off. It's hurting my soul. Please, now. Sure you don't want to see the rest, Fred? <sighs> oh, yes, I'm sure. In my 30 years working in television, I've never seen something I hated so much. Dick clicked with his remote. The other stage goes black. To be fair, there's no way we could have predicted this season. I think the first five years were all just dumb luck. It's television, Dick. There's no such thing as luck. There are a lot of factors in television. Luck is not one of them, unless you're on a game show. You're right, it's just that. Comedy isn't easy to explain, you see. Uh, when Lorne and I were putting the original vision of the show together, well, I brought the world Three's Company and Charlie's Angels, Dickie. If anyone can explain what makes people love comedy, it's me. Guess you're right. All right, that's it. Someone has to explain what happened these past few months with the show. Should I bring her in? But please, be kind to her. I'm sort of like a mentor slash father figure. I want to let her down easy. That's what you want. Dick opens the door and motions for Jean Dumanian, 40s, to enter. Jean? They freeze as she enters. Don Pardo speaks. Jean Dumanian, the hero of our story. I don't know if I love her or hate her, but there is no one else in comedy history who had to go through what she did. I still feel bad for her. Jean takes a seat and puts her cigarette out. Hello, boys. Hi, Jean. Brad kisses her hand. Brad? Dick Eppersall reaches his hand out for a handshake. Jean. Hello. Dick. What a season we've had, Miss Domanian. That was my line to her. You boys have no comedic timing. Well, comedy might not be any of our strong suit. Excuse me? I am close personal friends with Woody Allen. That should count for something comedically. Sure. I guess, sweetie. His last few movies were uh, disasters, though. 
You mean to tell me you didn't like Annie Hall or Manhattan? Oh, I, for one, thought they were atrocious. They were different. Uh, not exactly my scene. Well, that says a lot about you guys. Jane, let's cut right to it. This season was not what we expected. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's talk about this like adults. We're all business people here. Sure. As a business person, let me tell you, the ratings were abysmal. Fridays, ABC's ripoff version of our show, regularly trounced on us in the ratings. Yeah, they were the bright, shiny new thing, world news. That's the thing about television. Every single episode you do needs to feel like a reinvention of the medium. I brought you freaking Eddie Murphy. Dumb luck. Dumb luck. That was not dumb luck. Fred, what's the first thing you told me when we started? Make sure we see asses on the screen. No, there's no such thing as luck in television. I do say that. We did some really great things in these 12 episodes. I'll say it. For someone with no showrunning experience, I'm proud of myself. Sorry, I don't think the leather weather sketch was something special. Fuck you. It's nice you're proud of it though, honey. It, really, it is. It's hard to fill 90 minutes any week. Ask Lauren. There were a hell of a lot of clunkers that first year. Right, but Lauren brought us Landshark, a Samurai Hotel, the Coneheads, News for the Heart of Hearing. Lauren was a man. I'm a woman, and I'm the only one with the damn balls to come in here and try to reinvent the wheel. Everyone else was scared and ran off with Daddy Lauren. You do have balls. And I believe I did a damn good job considering I started from scratch. I mean, I don't think... Either of you have actually ever created anything. Exactly, that's what I thought. Gene, you're right. We are armchair critics, but we love helping others make exceptional entertainment. You just care about ratings, you corporate swine. Well, if you want to go that route, let's go there. You didn't bring in a head writer, and that was a creative decision of yours. That's not true. I brought in one toward the end of the season, Mason Williams. He wrote that song, Classical Gas, from the 60s. He, he worked with the Smothers Brothers. Gene one, Dick Zero. And then you fired him after one episode. Well, he, he wasn't any good. Mason said, and I quote, Gene talks about comedy like an ad man talks about music. If it makes you feel any better, he was the worst writer I hired. That doesn't make you look any better at your job, Gene. Gene, we're firing you. Fuck you, dick. I love her spunk. Thank you. And let me tell you, I think my cast and I did something special, all things considered, this past season. Gene, you can go now. This meeting is over. No. Fred loves my spunk. And I know this is an exit interview, but I want to review the season episode by episode and show you I did my absolute best. It was not as bad as you think it was. NBC and everyone set me up to fail. I at least deserve this. How many episodes did you two even watch this season? Um, how, how many were there? Oh my God, I knew it. You're canceling me and you didn't even watch all of them? There were 12 episodes. Yeah, I knew that. Let's just go over all of it. I swear it was good. Let me plead my case. Gene, it's, it's too late. We have meetings and, and other things we have to go to and- No, it's not too late. You're not going anywhere because 
live from New York. It's Saturday, Saturday night. night. It's Saturday Night Live with Denny Dillon, Gilbert Godfrey, Gail Mathias, Joe Piscopo, Anne Risley, and Charles Rocket, featuring Eddie Murphy. Not featuring the following because Gene Demonian didn't hire them after they auditioned. Jim Carrey, John Goodman, Catherine O'Hara, and Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Herman. And finally, your hosts, Fred Silverman, Dick Ebersol, and Gene Demonian. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> As many fans may know, Lauren Michaels left Saturday Night Live at the end of the fifth season. The entire cast and crew left with him. I was the only one who stuck around and kept the ship afloat. Bring back Belucci! <laughs> we all want Belucci back. I tried to get him to host so many times. But I wanted Saturday Night Live of the 80s to be different. All new cast, all new writers, shake it up. Fred, do you have a question? Hi, uh, Fred Silverman here, head of NBC, creator of Three's Company. Charlie's Angels at ABC, you know, comedy genius. Did you have a question, Fred? I did. Are you really going to uh, show me why you should keep your job using the format of an SNL episode? Because I, I have so many meetings. <laughs> I am going to plead my case in an SNL format. No better way. This is the monologue. You're going to see little snippets of each episode and how I kicked butt this season and paved the way for future female showrunners. <laughs> oh! Bring back Belushi! <laughs> Looks like we have another question. Dick, is that you? Yep, Dick Ebersol, head of NBC Sports. Is it true that you wanted to completely revamp the show, get rid of Weekend Update, and discontinue commercial parodies, but you failed to do that or to do anything interesting? Well, um, let me show you. We've got a great show tonight. Stick around and we'll be right back. A projector comes down to reveal a video commercial. The cast of the 1980-1981 season of SNL stands on stage and seems visibly nervous. Charles Rocket takes center stage. Hi, I'm Charles Rocket, and you're watching SNL now with an all-new cast. He motions behind himself at all the other cast members who wave a little too excitedly at the camera. They call me a cross between Chevy Chase and Bill Murray. I'm Charles Rocket, and you're not. You know, like Chevy used to say on the show. Lights up on Fred, Dick and Gene sit together and they turn off the TV with the test pattern. All right, Gene, feel free to defend the first promo from the season. Sure. It was a postmodern take on the original cast. Ironic and iconic to show we're going to bring the same thing, but with a different energy. Yeah, they're less competent performers. You literally got worse clones of the originals. The difference energies, just a bad one. Let's start from the beginning, okay? No need to pile on. Get him, Gene. You're firing her, Fred. Don't root for her. Oh, right. No, root for me. I'm the half-court shot at the end of the game. I'm the underdog, the scrub who comes in and takes us to the Super Bowl. Oh, you know sports? You never got to know me. 
but you all didn't give me a chance. The point I was trying to make is you guys don't remember how bad season five of the show was before me, do you? I was there. Neither of you were. I mean, this was how they left things. She motions to another stage. Lights up on Lauren Michaels sitting at the head of the table of cast and crew members. It's an odd looking bunch. Gene is in the back taking notes on what's being said. Hello, cast members and crew of the 1979 to 80 season of Saturday Night Live, the show I created. It's me, Lauren Michaels. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Lauren eyes her curiously. He can't figure out why she's not under his spell. He continues. I wanted to let you all know that I am going to be leaving the show at the end of the season to pursue other artistic projects. Uh, but Lauren, you don't really do anything. You kind of just approve or disapprove of stuff that gets on the air. Okay, Al Franken. I'm the glue here. I discovered Belushi, Ackroyd, Gilda, Billy, Chevy, Andy, Kaufman, and all the rest of you whose names I have forgotten. No one can do what I do. Actually, I think I could. Oh, okay. In the future, no one will want you in charge of anything, Al Franken. Al Franken is canceled. Ha, Al, stop groping that woman. Joe is a sinking ship. Hate to break it to you, but the cast this year stinks. No, it does not. I brought in Dan Aykroyd's little brother, Peter Aykroyd, Bill Murray's brother, Brian Doyle Murray, and added six other white guys. It's my dream cast. No, no, no. The show needs an edge. All we do is recurring characters. Let me, another white man, Al Franken, do a weekend update piece about Fred Silverman and his privilege, and I'll usher us into a daring new era. I love it. May I take credit for your innovative idea? Wouldn't expect it any other way. This is what I wrote. It's called Limo for Lamo. <clears throat> you know who gets a complete door-to-door -door limo service from NBC? Fred Silverman. Now, here's a guy who is a total unequivocal failure. The guy's been here two years and he hasn't done diddly squat. NBC doesn't have any TV shows in the top 10 because of him. Why? Because Silverman is a lame-o. Interior retro futuristic office, 1981. Lights up on Gene, Fred, and Dick. First of all, that was your first pick to take over for Lauren, a man that denounced you on your network. Fred throws his paper Dixie cup weakly against the wall. I hate that young man and his stupid curly hair. I made for certain he would not take over. My point exactly, it could have been worse. I'm not here to fight. I just want to keep this job and write this ship. Just six more episodes, I'll turn things around, I swear. Not so fast. Franken screwed up. We'll give you that, but things didn't go so well for you right off the bat once we did hire you. Excuse me? It was reported to me that your first order of business was to redecorate Lauren's office. Why? Well, that was creating a vibe thing. Every artist needs a home they can be creative in before getting to work. <laughs> uh, that vibe consisted of, and I quote, 
new carpeting with natural fiber, all gray. Across the wall, there were four refrigerator units, a new desk, and Art Deco lamps. I can go on, but all told, it says this vibe cost NBC $22,000. All things considered, not too expensive. Well, well, sweetheart, let's, let's talk about the next thing that didn't go so well. What's that? Let's talk about the cast. What's wrong with the cast? There were some mistakes. Lights up on an interior audition stage. A pink wall stands solemnly. In front of it is a young Jim Carrey. I'm Jim Carrey, and this is my SNL audition. My first impression is post-nuclear Elvis. You can do anything, but don't step on my blue suede shoes. Brilliant. What was wrong with him? Not for me. Very broad. I'm a New York socialite. I like nuance. He's a home run. I prefer the guy I picked. You were wrong, lady. I was Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, The Mask. That was all in just 1994, too. How was I supposed to know that? He was giving off bad juju. Just so you know, while I was walking to my SNL audition, I saw a man on a ledge of a building decide whether or not to jump. I was shaken. Um, right. You can go now. Okay, you two. Take a look at the guy I chose. Lights up on the stage. Charles Rocket walks on stage. Hi, I'm Charles Rocket, auditioning for Saturday Night Live. Let's celebrate the holidays and ring in January 11th. This man came in all the way from Boston, Massachusetts, just to celebrate the 11th. Does it once a year. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's humorous that a man celebrates January 11 instead of New Year's? Not exactly funny. I don't think my daughters would laugh at this. Okay, what about her then? Anne Risley walks out of the audition stage. Hi, Anne Risley, reading for SNL. The Super Bowl is going to be the game of the year, the event of the century, the biggest in civilization. I don't think that anyone can argue that apart from drugs, violence, and cheating involved, football is the best place to learn moral values outside a monastery. I hate her and this so much. That's why I like her. She's spunky and sarcastic, like me. Different sensibility. It's a, it's a variety show after all. This is why the show failed. We didn't give them the jiggle factor. Jiggle factor? On Charlie's Angels, we created the jiggle factor. Fred Mime's boobs bouncing as he jogs in place hold looking ridiculous. That's how you get ratings. You think that would have made the show better? They could be sexier and prettier. I can't believe what I'm hearing. After the women's live movement too, we burned our bras for nothing? I enjoyed the burning of the bras. Great for ratings. You were my mentor. This is gross to hear. I'm, I'm supposed to sacrifice quality for sex? Honey, it's 1981. Believe it. Imagine <laughs> if we ordered diets for these ladies you cast. This Risley character could look just like Mary Tyler Moore, minus 20 pounds. Ugh. Let's move past this conversation. Estrada Young and impish Gilbert Gottfried ambles on stage. He doesn't have the voice yet. Gilbert Gottfried reading for Saturday Night Live. What a voice. Oh, I adore him. Kind of rough to look at. We ought to get him into a gym. He would be amazing for voiceovers, like, like a, a funny parrot or, or a duck. Okay, I could see that. Gilbert, show us what you do. Fresh squeezed water here. 
Fresh squeezed. Just imagine if Woody Allen was more annoying. That's Gilbert. You got one right. Very good. Who's next? A funny stand-up comic from New Jersey named Joe Piscopo. Out walks Joe Piscopo on the other stage. Blue Yankees go Yankees. So oh. He satirizes blue-collar sensibility in such a nuanced way. Babe, funny is funny. This ain't about nuance. Just one more audition. I want you all to see. Finally, Eddie Murphy enters in full Gumby regalia. Eddie Murphy reading for the show. This gives me goosebumps. I'm Gumby. Damn it. Who could that be, boys and girls? Oops, thanks. He tangs and maybe. This is a star. See? The wild thing is, is I actually had someone even better. Don't dig yourself a hole, sweetie. You got <laughs> something right here. No, seriously, I preferred this comic, Robert Townsend. <laughs> told you she does not know comedy. <laughs> but you, Fred, you said I could only have one black cast member. Well, well of course. That, that's just the way it is. But it should be Murphy, obviously. I know that now. I didn't at the time. But listen, I listened to my staff. My talent coordinator, Neil Levy, told me that I had to hire Eddie after Eddie called him every day for weeks waiting to hear back. And? And I did. That's not all. I, I know there's more. And Townsend didn't get around to signing his contract. He, he had nuance. So your one major comedic achievement, hiring Eddie Murphy and bringing him to the masses was dumb luck? There's no such thing as luck in television. I bet she thought Eddie didn't have nuance. <laughs> I brought the world Joe Piscopo. Fair. He is great. Who's that odd little fellow that just walked in? Paul Rubens, AKA Pee Wee Herman enters in costume. I know you are, but what am I? Yeah. Oh. No. Well, that's, that's good. We all agree on the note. Why so nervous, Gene? You're about to watch the first episode. You got Elliot Gould hosting. This one should be a home run. He didn't know this episode was without Lauren and the original cast. You duped Gold? It was a survival technique. I needed a name, and I know from the days during my first season of the show, recruiting hosts and leaving out one detail can make you a world of difference. Sure. I thought all episodes were thought-provoking winners with gravitas. Just remember, this was my first show ever. Be gentle with me. We worked on this cold open for ages to get it right. Gene picks up a remote control on Silverman's desks and hits play. Lights up on another stage. Interior bedroom, Elliot Gould lies in bed by himself. Gail Mathias pulls herself from under the covers. This is the actual sketch almost word for word. Sir, sir, Mr. Elliot Gould. Oh, uh, hi. Uh... Gail, Gail Mathias, shouldn't we get ready? It's almost time for the show. Relax. What are they going to do? Start without us? Look, you're going to be just fine. Also, you look like a cross between Gilda Radner and Jane Curtin. <laughs> oh, hi, Charlie. Hey, how's it going? Just great. Uh, let's see. You're the one... I'm kind of a cross between Chevy Chase and Bill Murray. Hi, I'm Ann Risley. Kind of a cross between Gilda Radner and Lorraine Newman. Joe! Joe, wake up! Say hello to this man! Hello, Mr. Gould, how are you? 
Joe Piscopo. You, you know, I've uh, seen you do Saturday Night in the past. Uh, what was it really like back then? Did they, they really use drugs? Oh, sure, sure. They all did. Cocaine was everywhere. And not just the cast, the studio crew, the cameramen, everybody. Tell us about Belushi. Well, John? Oh, he was the worst. He'd come into the studio with a big bag of coke in his pocket. And if he asked you to have some and you didn't want any, he'd push you down on the floor and Ackroyd would hold your head between his legs and they sort of jam it up your nostril. You mind keeping it down? <laughs> Let me guess. Gilbert Gottfried. I'm kind of a cross between John Belushi and some other guy. I live from New York. It's... <laughs> <laughs> and we're off to the races. Not many laughs, and it was somewhat sexless for an orgy. No jiggle. That was actually the best sketch of the night. We established the cast for the confused viewer at home immediately. Maybe the viewers were probably too busy watching a rerun of Fridays anyway. They trounced us in the ratings that week. Well, back up, Gene. Did you just say that was the best sketch of the night? Yes. Oh, Gene, bless your heart. The first show was tough. The pilot is never easy, honey. Get off of me. You, you didn't even watch. What were the other sketches? Well, Gould's monologue is him reminiscing about old underwear of his. I thought it was funny, but the press hated it. Through the press. That's what I said. But they were so nasty, calling us things like Saturday Night Dead, and it made me believe what they said. When they hated on Charlie's Angels, I thought they just didn't get it. I was right. They didn't get it. The show was a hit. See? You get what I went through. These critics are unnecessarily mean. Gene, I'll be honest with you. I actually watched the first episode at home and thought you had some good moments. You did? Yeah, the foot fetish short was very funny. Lights up on the projector. We see a fun one minute stop motion short called Foot Fetish, where two shoes make love and have a baby. It's on Amazon if you want to watch. <laughs> that was funny. The only problem is that we bought that short. No cast members, none of our writers contributed. If I wanted to show up a show, throw up amateur short films without the name Saturday Night Live attached, I could do, I could do that for much cheaper. That's a good point, Fred. I actually wasn't finished, though. The funniest part of the episode was the good nights at the end. What was so funny about that? Elliot said something like, we'll see you next week. This cast is going to be around forever. Not exactly. Ugh. Hey, that is funny. Uh, with the firing. Uh, no hard feelings, of course. Can we just move on to the next episode? I promise it gets better. Eddie Murphy is in it. You'll like it. If you insist. Lights up, Hard Rock plays. On stage is a short blonde woman. She is Denny Dillon, SNL cast member. She wears an S&M bondage outfit. This is the exact same sketch that opened the play. Good evening and welcome to Leather Weather Report. Oh, I forgot it, th this was in this episode. Let's go to the next sketch. Oh, lights up on a protesting group outside the building. Let's go hunt ourselves some communists. I don't like where this is going. Go ahead and shoot yourself a Jew or a Oh, wow. Um, I forgot that was next. Let's go to the next sketch. Not so fast. NBC aired this one? With a hate speech? How did this get past the censors? The suits let Chevy Chase say the N-word to Richard Pryor in the first season of the show. Maybe 
they gave us a pass for that. That was different. When they did it, it was A, funny, and B, not hate speech. It certainly was hate speech in that sketch. Chubby said it to Richard in a word association sketch that was meant to get a rise out of him. Oh, Jesus. Let's, let's not fight about this. This sketch makes Leather Weather look like Mark Twain. What's next? It says the next sketch is Jack the Stripper. Oh, I don't watch that one. It's a Jack the Ripper parody. I misspoke. Even I can admit that was not our finest moment. Where was Eddie Murphy? Didn't you say it was in this? He was an extra in one scene. The sketch was called The Search for the Black Republican. You must have missed him. Ha ha. Yeah, you have Eddie Murphy, the most electric comic performer of this era, and he's an extra? Jesus, Gene. We didn't know what he was capable of yet. He's a 19-year-old kid. I didn't know what was sitting at my bench. Just, just curious, who hosted the second episode we're watching right now that, that featured Eddie as an extra? Malcolm McDowell. Who? He's a noted thespian who is the star of The Clockwork Orange. Um, he played the lead character, Alex. Super iconic. Very famous in the UK. Famous with the Brits. This is the United States, babe. Look, I'm a big movie buff, and I've never heard of him. That's because you're uncultured swine, dick. Gene, you ignorant slut. Okay, good reference. You two, cool again. Not making a strong case to keep your job here, Jeannie. Sure, sure, I'm cool. Let's talk practicality here now. The real reason McDowell is no good is he fails my farmer's market test. Excuse me? My farmer's market test, or sometimes I call it a poll, I use it for everything we do. Basically, if I went to a grocery store or a farmer's market and asked 10 people who Malcolm McDowell was, I bet you none of them would know who he is. Maybe one if it was New York or LA. Fred, we've given Jean her shot. We know how the rest of this goes. It's sad and only gonna hurt her more. Let's end this now. Oh my God. You've watched 1.5 episodes. It evolves. Jean, does your office still have the Art Deco lamps? Yes. Good. Maybe we can resell them and your season won't be a total loss. Dick 2, Gene 1. Funny. Come on. Seriously, give me a break. The second episode of the original version of SNL was literally 90 minutes of Paul Simon singing. Well, that sounds pretty good to me. Sounds a lot better than a bunch of nobodies spouting the N-word. I promise the next episode is wonderful. You literally just said that about this episode. I love you, sweetie, but I have meetings. I'm looking through standards and practices notes about this third episode uh, hosted by Ellen Burstyn from The Exorcist. Also, doesn't pass the farmer's market test. She's an amazing character actress. Right. So this is what my notes from SMP say about the Ellen Burstyn episode. Uh, you fought for a sketch about Planned Parenthood, uh, another about a nun who wasn't a virgin, and a third about a junkie selling potholders to support his drug habit. They were all very funny. And, you know, the records show we threatened to fire you that day. Yes, that's correct. The network did, and just like today, and it kept my job. I remember this. You backed down. That's how much I wanted this job. That's why I'm fighting right now. Yes, doll. Do not call me doll. I'm not backing down this time. I'm here to fight tooth and nail to keep this. This isn't just for me. This is for all the female writers, directors, producers, whatever. 
men will give us jobs so they can look like heroes and take them away just as soon as they can. Aww, the new wave feminist. Don't call her doll, but give her a break. We wouldn't give a man because it's a boys club. I can't win with you two. This company needs female leadership. We gave it to you. Gene, I promise you, we would not be having this conversation if the show was a big blockbuster hit. I'd like to introduce you to our musical guest for this show. What? There's a musical guest? This is structured like an episode of SNL, isn't it? Ladies and gentlemen, Captain Beefheart. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how Bill Murray used to make me smile. <laughs> and I know if Jean, Jean D had a chance, I think she'd want to make those people laugh. Maybe make them happy for a season or two. I'm cringing, Jean. Cringing. I like this. Come on. He just rhymes smile with two. Bad news every show. She just wanted to give it a go. Well, I'm assuming your writers wrote this track. Eddie Murphy wrote it. Really? No, kidding. You all will like anything if I say Eddie was behind it. This is very true. Kid passes the farmer's market test. Bye, Gene, you tried. But the audience, they only side. And the good old boys laughing at Murphy and died. Singing this song, SNL die. This will be the day SNL die. Okay, there are some real. <laughs> <laughs> you do write the book of jokes, and do you have faith in hot riding high on coke? If Lord Michaels told you so, do you believe in a sketch, or does bad riding make you rich? Can you teach me how to ride real slow? Assuming Weekend Update is next. After this commercial break. Promo for next week's episode plays. The cast is on stage. Charles Rocket is in the middle with sunglasses. Saturday Night Live is back at 11.30 p.m. on your tube this Saturday. Eddie Murphy pushes him out of the way. All right, America, forget this phone. I know what you're thinking. Oh, Gilda's gone. Show's no good. No, I'm the best. Watch and I'll show you. Charlie pouts, Eddie musses his hair. Studio, 8-8 eight, eight stage. What was that? What was what? You just improvised that whole Gilda is Gone thing. That was my commercial. Look at the cue cards. All the lines are for me. There'll be other commercials for you to stink up phony. That one needed some laughter, and I bought it. Look, Eddie, I'm an actress. I've done Shakespeare. I've done Woody Allen. That's not how things are done in acting. Y'all are too old and stale to understand what's funny. Let's go down, and then they come up on Retro Futuristic Office. Dick points to the action. See, this was the moment you should have stepped in and gotten your cast in order. Actually, agree with Charles. Eddie's 19. He might be the best, but he's too young to be pushed into the spotlight. Then tell Eddie that. You keep saying it. Communicate it to him rather than make everyone else feel lost. Wasn't this Charles Rocket fellow just a weatherman before coming into SNL? It's not like he's an authority on comedy. Well, yes, but... He can take it. Lights up on Weekend Update. And now, Weekend Update with your anchor, Charles Rocket. For the first time today, Frank Sinatra had a drink that didn't have a nickname. Make a note of it. The United States Postal Service just raised the price of the stamp to 18 cents. 
So now the wrong mail will arrive one day earlier. Bring back Belushi! In New Jersey, reservoir levels are so low that a woman turned on her sink and out popped Jimmy Hoffa's pinky ring. <laughs> See? Just give him a chance. You guys are too quick to write off any of my ideas. Food stamps, Medicaid, subsidized housing, child nutrition, student aid, mass transit, big cuts, cuts that affect all Americans. Listen here, Reagan. If you want to save money, why don't you have Nancy shop at Sears? <laughs> See, I told you this season had its moments. That was very funny. You're not wrong. It's about to get even better. Charles looks toward what could be, what would be the other camera. We have a special correspondent on Weekend Update tonight. He'll be discussing a ruling made by a judge in Cleveland that says high school basketball teams need to have a quota of at least two white basketball players. This is Raheem Abdul Muhammad. Yo, baby, look, I've been a junior at Cleveland High for seven years. <laughs> Let me tell you that this is the most disgusting <laughs> thing we've ever pulled to date. I mean, we ain't got much. At least let us have basketball. Anytime we get something going good, y'all move in on it. In the 60s, we wore platform shoes. Then y'all wore platform shoes. Then in the early 70s, we braided our hair. In the late 70s, y'all braided your hair. Now it's 1980. We're all on welfare. And by the end of the next year, y'all will be on welfare too. <laughs> And they're just saying that every two bathroom attendants have to be white. All I'm saying is y'all stick to playing hockey and polo and we'll stay in the courts. I mean, if God would have wanted whites to be equal to blacks, everyone would have wanted each. Eddie pulls out a ghetto blaster. Crowd goes nuts. Charles is not happy. No one ever gets laughs as big. Eddie Murphy, everyone. Crowd goes wild. Lights down the studio and lights up on. Retrofuturistic office, 1981. Gene, Dick, and Fred look on in awe. He's really only 19. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? It is. He just radiates comedy. You know, he started autographing the walls around the office. He just writes Eddie Murphy, number one, anywhere he can. I find it charming. Let him do whatever he wants. Y'all talking about me? They all laugh and admire Eddie, turning into fawning fans, dropping their previous tense attitudes. We were. You, you really are something, aren't you? Damn right I am. Took y'all long enough to find out, but once you do, all old white folks fall in love with you. This is where the season starts picking up. Then why did you still pay me like a feature player when I was a damn star? Um, it's a budgetary thing. Something we'll have to discuss at the end of the season. You're getting fired, aren't you? I'm fighting for my job, and you're a big part of it. Well, it's up to me, which it should be. You're not staying. You didn't get me. I lucked out that everyone else was horrible. Well said. Whoever gets her gig better be paying me a hell of a lot more. To the loop. You can't even handle your biggest star or make him smile. But look at the rest of the episode. Gilbert and Denny have a recurring character now as a bickering couple, as does Piscopo with his annoying Jersey guy. Things are starting to gel a bit. Plus, Aretha Franklin was the musical guest. I brought in Prince this season, too, for his first television debut. Cut me some slack here. Dean, there, there are good moments to be sure. Thank you. I have many ideas for next year. It's gonna be my new wave season. Gene, honey, I, I don't wanna lie to you. I'm going to be giving the show to Dick next season. What? This Dick? Yes, 
Dick helped Lorne create the show way back in 1973, before it even existed. He was instrumental in the vision for this thing, and you're just not working out. I told the writing staff to make it hipper. I told them to make it funnier. I was there all the first five years. Dick wasn't. I know what to do. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to fire the writers that you blame for everything and I wasn't there for. I'm going to clean house. Please, just watch the rest. Going forward, I made sure that every single sketch had three jokes per page. That was a rule. I made sure it went into effect the fourth episode. James Brown is the musical guest, for Christ's sake. Just stick around and we'll be right back. There's no commercial to cut to. It's over. We watched episode four. It's the one that Dick and I watched. Had to do a little prep for this offboarding. The biggest laugh of the episode is Eddie eating dog food during Weekend Update. <laughs> I loved it. I thought so too. Gene, you could hire an inanimate doll to run the show and Eddie Murphy would be funny. He doesn't need you. I guess you're that inanimate doll then, fucker. Whoa, no F-words. There were a lot of lows, too. The crowd didn't even clap after Live from New York. It was dead air. That was a technical issue. Happened all the time in the first five seasons. Tape delays were really common. Dan Aykroyd would stammer through Weekend Update. Dean, tell us a joke. Excuse me? <laughs> You're talking about how you have a wonderful sense of humor. Let's see you tell a joke better than, say, Dan Aykroyd. I am not a performer. I'm a curator of exquisite talent. That's a pretty funny joke. Hey, I was being serious. I've talked to your writers. They said they're in three camps. Those who want to revolt against you, those who have hidden their displeasure and tried to work with you, and those who have stayed as far away as possible. I guess that does explain things a bit. They've been calling you the Ayatollah Dumanian. What does that mean? Oh my God. Come on, you have to understand that reference. Ayatollah Khamenei, I, I thought you were part of the cultural elite that can't put down the New York Times. It's 1981. Doesn't ring a bell, and that's not important. You know, it, it wasn't for me. There would be no more SNL. No one would have taken it on. I kept it alive. Let's see episode five. You had David Carradine from Kung Fu hosting, it looks like. He passes the farmer's market test, barely. Thank you. This was another legendary episode. I brought in the first woman of color to the show's cast in history, Yvonne Hudson. Okay, but she was just an extra. Didn't have any lines. Seems kind of racist, no? Baby step stick. And this show was kind of fun. Piscopo came into his own with a little sketch called Gun City. And Charles Rocket played a drunk Santa Claus. And I brought back Mr. Bill. The musical guest was the Pirates of Penzance cast, right? A am I reading that correctly here? Yeah, I mixed it up a little bit. Um, pretty cool idea, right? Doesn't exactly grab ratings. There was nothing like it on TV. Maybe that's a good thing. Gene, if you could do this one all over, what would you have done? Oh, knowing what I know now, Eddie would have been the star of every sketch. I would have gotten a host with more comedic chops, maybe Someone like my good friend, Woody Allen, forcing him to do TV, which I still can do, and make it sexier. That sounds very good to me. And then we kind of got on the hot streak after this one. We found our groove. Episode six, we have Ray Sharkey hosting. Oh, character actor. 
No more character actors. Think of the market. Stars. Right. Eddie is on Weekend Update trashing the original cast like Garrett Morris. Well, we don't ever want to trash our programming. Oh, it was all in good fun. And at the end, we have Eddie do stand-up, too. Yes, okay, that, that I can get behind. And tell us why you had Eddie do stand-up in this moment. We didn't have enough material for 90 minutes. Oh. But still, this was the official light bulb moment where we understood that even though he's only 19, Eddie is a once-in-a-lifetime talent. This is where we gelled. Studio 8H stage, Eddie on stage. Yo, your mama got a mouth in the back of the neck and she chewed like this. <laughs> he is electric. I think I'm in love with that man. Yes, like a light bulb. And then we were cooking. Episode seven with Karen Black was our best of the whole season. Our recurring characters, the Livelies hit it big where they treat their lives like a game show. Charles Rocket is a museum security guard who falls in love with the Mona Lisa. Now we're achieving our vision. I remember reading the trades about this one. It did seem like you turned a corner. Right, but this was just one episode. The rest from what I recall that I saw on television were wretched, just like your friend <laughs> Captain Beef Fart saying. It was what we called a little winter slump. The Robert Hayes episode was awful. Don't forget, I saved the show. You can't use that excuse forever. Anyone else could have done what you did, and for the next few episodes, there wasn't a winner in the bunch. I thought Gilbert shined in that episode. But the show belongs to Eddie now, Jeannie. It's important that we remember that. We need that focus. Yes, yes. Did you notice I brought in legendary improvisation guru Del Close to help out with the cast? He's the king of character work and truth in comedy. Engaged. I thought it did. The cast began to really work together. Well, this is interesting. It says here the next episode was hosted by the musician Blondie? Yes, another fun host. Kind of like when Lauren had an anybody can host show and an 80-year-old German immigrant woman did. I thought having Blondie was a hit for the kids, but she would bring in a good energy and, you know, great music. Oh, sounds like real truth and comedy. Gene, you may not be aware, but the ad space on the show is now $25,000 for a 30-second spot. It was $50,000 during the first five years. I knew that. Then you know your show that you keep defending is costing the network a fortune. Yes. But you, you know by this time there were suits hanging on our every read through, just through telling us what to do. They're just as much to blame. We don't like finger pointing at NBC. You're pointing your finger at me. Gene, that brings us to the episode that defines your season and is the reason we're all here. Yes, the infamous one, I know. Charlene Tilton. This will be in my obituary. And you know why it was the final straw, right, Gene? I do. I still think I am more than qualified to do this thing, and I can get you those ad prices back up if you just give me one last shot. No, 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 no. First of all, we gave you another episode after this. Secondly, you okayed the silly Dallas parody. It seemed harmless. Making fun of the cliffhanger was ripe for comedy. Sure, but you let this happen. Kick motions to another stage. The entire cast sits on the home base stage. Rocket sits in the middle of 
in a wheelchair. His head is bandaged. The host, Charlene Tilton, asks, How do you feel about getting shot, JR? Oh, man, it's the first time I've been shot in my life. And I'd like to know who the fuck did it. <gasps> There's an audible gasp in the studio. I think that settles it. Thank you for coming in today. Your severance is in the mail. Lunch next week. Are we not going to look at the final Bill Murray hosted episode I went out on? That was you cheating and using Bill. He can make anything good just like Eddie. You two really have a hard time giving me credit. So did Murray. He closed out the episode apologizing to his fellow cast members. When we're apologizing for our own programming, that's when we know it's time to pull the plug. Jean has been defeated. She has stopped caring. There is no winning. Whatever. This is the end of the train wreck. It was certainly a wild ride, Jean. We thank you for all you did. This season was a was an interesting misfire. Please sign your paperwork, uh, the non-disclosure agreements, and, and, and the network will take care of you. He reaches his hand out for a final handshake. Gene does not accept. What Charlie Rocket said was a mistake. Blame me. This isn't about just that, but even if it was, you hired him, allowed that awful skit to air, and now you're defending him. If there's one thing you are, it's loyal. You guys know Paul Schaefer said fuck in his sketch last season. Once again, not what this is about, but he said friggin'. Same difference. And that was Lauren's last show too. He left right after. You always take the original show's side. They made all the same mistakes as me, but somehow they're exempt. I can't wait to see Dick make all of the same mistakes. Higher ratings, better product all. Lauren's crew can get away with more. We'll see with Dick. What are you gonna do now that I'm gone, Dick? Do you even have a game plan? Well, first he has to clean up your mess. And I'm gonna have to curate comedy in a new way just like you. You've given me quite a big job. Wow, Fred. You're replacing a woman with a dick. Fitting. Jean reaches into her purse and pulls out a weird, goopy drink. She takes a swig. What is that? It's organic juice. Fresh carrots, parsley, celery. You should try it, you wrinkly old fuck. Your skin is horrible. We were never friends. You're only nice to people to their face. And Dick, good luck. I want to see you fail, but I want to see my cast succeed. That's how much I love them. I was going to throw this in your faces, but I have too much class. That juice smelled horrible. It's organic. Fuck you both. Goodbye. I'm going to go work with Woody Allen, a man who knows how to treat a woman. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling that won't age well. Backstage. Dell Close is running an improv exercise with the cast. Gilbert, you need the game of the scene. What makes it unusual? I don't know. That I'm a loud pilot? <laughs> Lean into that. Dell, cut the scene. Hey, everyone. It's over. They let me go. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm shaking. I, I just want to thank you all for being incredible collaborators these past few months. Excuse me. What's happening? Fred Silverman and Dick Ebersalt just fired me. I assume the network will be speaking with all of you about who gets to stay. What's so funny, Eddie? Y'all out of a job. Black man will still be employed, though. Gonna miss you, Danny Dillon. That's not very sensitive, Eddie. These are all your fellow <laughs> castmates. You barely used me for way too long. She might miss you as well. Eddie points to a crying Danny Dillon. Joe Episcopo laughs a little. It's not funny. I'm crying because they fired a woman in power. You all will never understand that. <laughs> oh, you are funny. Jenny, come back. What? Dry your eyes, friend. We're going to celebrate everything we accomplished this year. We are? Yes. Plus, it's your birthday. Right, Del? 
It is. I'm 46 today. Let's fucking party. Curtains come down. The curtains come back up. Jean stands at center stage with the cast behind her. The closing credits of SNL plays. I want to thank the cast, the crew, and most of all myself. We made television history. That was weird. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. End of act one. The curtains come back down. Backstage, Dick sits with the cast. His whole demeanor has changed. He's sweet, caring, fatherly even. Not combative, but understanding and authoritative. Hello, everyone. My name is Dick Ebersaw. I'm taking over for Gene for the rest of this season. This is going to be uncomfortable, but we're going to make it work. Capiche? Who are you exactly? I know you're like an executive of some kind, but I'm not really sure. <laughs> oh, Eddie. Well, I've been the head of sports programming at NBC for the past 10 years. More importantly, this show, or at least the general form, was born out of me as much as anyone in the world. This guy loves to take credit. <laughs> hey, maybe I do. And I want to take credit for making all of you into stars. Unfortunately, we're gonna be doing a complete cast overhaul. No hard feelings, everyone. Everyone stand up, please. Rocket, you got Sorry. Uh, what? I'm the star of the goddamn show. Not anymore. Come on, give me another chance. You know, you sound just like Gene. You haven't heard the last ah! of Charles Rocket. <laughs> you will regret this. Rocket was right. That wasn't the last time we heard of him. He made appearances in films like Dances with Wolves and Dumb and Dumber in the early 90s. He tragically passed away in 2005. Dan Rinsley, your assessment is next. <laughs> like this guy. Me too. I, I just don't know if I'm safe. Ah, you got nothing to worry about. You're the only one I'm liking this cast. I'll go to bat for you. And Rinsley, it was nice knowing you. But, but, <laughs> but, he told me I was going to be the next Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> there will be a nice severance check. <laughs> hey, and you know what? We all appreciate all you brought to the show. <sighs> and leaves without giving much of a fight. This was almost the end of Rinsley's career. She was in Annie Hall and Manhattan and would make one more appearance on SNL. Dick, you're a fucking fastest pick. Thank you again for all your comedic contributions you brought to the show. That was it. She exits and Eddie and Piscopo do a celebratory dance. Finally, and this was tough, but Gilbert, we gotta let you go, like Jay did. <laughs> it's fine. I hated this dump anyway. Hey, go find your voice, cocksucker. Affleck. I don't know what that means, but I know it will work someday. Gilbert walks out. Yes, that was that Gilbert Gottfried. This show wasn't for him, but he would be okay. Is Gilbert going to re-enter and tell me what an idiot I am? Okay, good. The rest of you made the cut, at least for the rest of the season. You are my cast. I like you and think you have potential. As for the writers, drop most of them too. That's it. Nice. We kept two of my favorites, David Sheffield and Barry Blostein. You mean Eddie's writers. I do. They wrote hits. I also got some fun throwbacks to the original show to replace the others. First, we have John Belushi's wife, Judy. Went to SCTV and grabbed a few of their cast members. You may have heard of them before. John Candy? I wish. He wasn't available, though. We got Catherine O'Hara, though. Oh, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Come on in, Catherine. 
Also found a young actress by the name of Lori Metcalf on the stage, famous Chicago Steppenwolf. Get in here, Lori. Hi, guys. Excited to be here for a long time. Lori lasted exactly one episode. Lori keeps walking and walks right off stage. Great working with all of you. And finally, this show is missing something. I think we can all agree on that. So I wanted to bring some flair from the original. Ladies and gentlemen, the first head writer from the first five seasons of the show and uttered the very first lines in the show's history, Mr. Michael O'Donoghue. I'm, uh, I'm not actually the head writer here, Dick. Oh, that's right. I'd much prefer if you all would refer to me as the Reich Marshal. I, uh, I'm, I'm here to give you all a decent Viking funeral if you're not all feeling dead already from Gene's bloat. Promise. He's funny. Funny is for dweebs. You are all dweebs begging for laughs. Michael gets right in O'Hara's face and snarls at her. Every single last one of you is a dweeb. Piscopo is a dweeb. All of you are dweebs. Except for Eddie. You eat dog food on television. With all due respect, I don't know what gives you the right to talk to us like this. I know I just got here, but this is toxic. Did you all watch last season? Gene's show made me puke. What you did, uh, did you think there were diamonds in that dog shit you were putting out? Uh, there weren't even zircons. I assure you all, Mike is a very accomplished writer. Uh, shut up, Clit Ebersol. Everyone, look at, look at these walls. They're neat, tidy, sanitized. This is not a comedy show. Do you, do you know what this show is missing? Jokes. No, Denny Dillon. Oh, Donahue reaches into a backpack and takes out a can of red spray paint. He starts spraying danger in huge two-foot letters. When he gets to the G, Piscopo chimes in. Is that, that's supposed to say danger? Shut the fuck up, Piscopo, let me finish. It says danger. That's what this show is missing. Now everyone grab a can of spray paint and express yourselves on the wall. Make this place look like a comedy office. Comedy writers work here. Let's see what that looks like to you. Is this okay if we do this? Have fun. Comedy is supposed to be fun. Shut up, fascist. We don't need your permission. Let's stick to the fucking things. The cast reluctantly grab Sharpies and spray paint bottles. Eddie is having a blast. No one else is that into it. I'll be in my office. Hey, go wild, you crazy kids. O'Donoghue flips off Eversol as he walks out, slides down the cast pending the walls. My spray paint can doesn't work. No one cares, Piscopo. Dick sits down in his office. Fred is there. How goes day one? Was it really as hard as Gene made it out to be? Piece of apple pie. We're going to make something special. Good. I knew you could pull everyone together. Yeah, everyone is getting along famously in there. What is it, sweetheart? Dick, this is not what I signed up for. This isn't me. The spray paint, the cruelty, the danger. I thought comedy was about joy. This seems dark for the sake of dark. Catherine, let's make this work. This is going to be a joyful experience. The last show was dark and shock-oriented. Not this. No. If I ever have to work with that rat Michael again, I don't want to be a part of this. I understand. Hire my friend Robin Duke. She'll get this. I can't. Thank you for the opportunity. We will. Thank you, Catherine. Trouble in paradise? A little hiccup. We got this under control. Backstage. Lights up on the cast with O'Donoghue. The wall is completely ridden with spray paint. 
Eddie Murphy launches into a perfect imitation of Michael O'Donoghue. I'll show the fat cat clit I ever saw. No making fun of me. That's the only thing that's off limits. The Reich Marshal is impervious to criticism. Oh, I didn't realize you were a bitch. I like you, kid, but don't cross me. <laughs> I like you too, man. You aren't afraid of shit. Everyone else is terrified. I've been to hell and back, and uh, hell was a lot funnier than this goddamn forsaken comedy show. Nothing scares me. Michael, I need to see you in my office. Ooh, I've got to talk to the principal. No one reacts. He's incredibly stale to this group. Michael and Dick exit to the office. It lights up, lights down on the cast. Having fun in there? Shut up, old man. <laughs> Funny. Michael, our next show is in two weeks. Are you okay with Chevy Chase coming in to host? Is he still a cocaine slut? No, I think he's in recovery and doing quite well. Yeah, let's let him fall on his bloated face one more time. Are you always this negative? Yep. And you hired me, babe, so let's put on a show, old girl. Backstage. Chevy Chase sits backstage by himself. Old memorabilia from the first five years of the show surround him. Old B costumes, a samurai sword. Coneheads. Oh my god. Telegram. Land shark. He laughs. Chevy then picks up a Mr. Bill action figure in a trash can after he hears it making noise. Forgot all about this little guy. Thanks a lot for getting me out of here. I didn't think anyone would ever find me. Oh, Mr. Bill, what happened to you? Well, the trash at the after party and feel like they just forgot about me. I got this feeling they just don't have time for us old timers anymore. Oh, come on now, Chevy. Don't feel that way. Chevy starts smacking Mr. Bill against his palm and his head falls off. Oh, sorry, Mr. Bill. Chevy, I'm down on the floor. Can you please help me? Chevy does one of his famous pratfalls, slipping, falling, knocking everything over and crushing Mr. Bill. He mucks at the camera. Live from New York, it's Saturday night! The overhead projector comes down and Darn Pardo introduces the cast. The graphics are all new. Starring Denny Dillon, Robin Duke, Tim Kazurinsky, Gail Mathias, Eddie Murphy, Joe Piscopo, and Tony Rosato. Featuring Yvonne Hudson, Laurie Metcalf, and Emily Prager. Retro futuristic office. Dick now sits with Fred watching drinking a variation on Gene's goopy drink. What do you think? New look? Old show roots. I honestly can't really tell the difference. That's Gene's juice. Yeah, honestly, not half bad. How's she taking this? I was a little harsh. Pretty well. She and her boyfriend are in Spain traveling. Uh, she didn't hang up on me when I, when I called her, though. Makes sense. Nice to pay, Fred. Hey, that's my real hair. F funny, though. How are you liking little Dick's new show? New look, old show roots, using my name for cachet. Uh, well, yes, it's fine. I honestly can't really tell the difference uh, is what I was just saying. Good. I'm glad you like it. I hope you like Tanat's musical guest, Fatty. Later, babe. What was that all about? Oh, just something we're doing for Mike and Belushi. He said if we allowed this musical guest, he would host. Oh, God. This does not sound good. Who are they? Well, um, Belushi just asked that the musical guest be this punk band called Fear. Did you look into them? Well, no. If Belushi asks, I do it. Old show roots. This is not great leadership, Dickie. Oh, shh. The first sketch is starting. Really proud of this one. New cast member, Tim Kazarinski. He's going to be a star. Kazarinski never became a star. He had a solid career, though. You may recognize him from Police Academy. Tim Kazarinski and Tony Rosado sit in a kitchen. 
Am I ever gonna meet your wife? Of course. Have you really never met Madge? No. I could have sworn I introduced you to Madge. Madge, come on out. Morning, Madge. You're looking well. I was just telling Tim that Louise and I are joining a health club next week. Well, look, Tim, I gotta get running. Madge, it was nice seeing you again. Take care. Weren't you the least bit surprised to see Mike here this morning? Why is it that whenever I confront you with anything like this, you say nothing? Look, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to control your life. I just want to know what you were doing until four in the morning. Were you drunk? Were you on drugs? I am trying to save a marriage. <coughs> Maggie's awake. Tim comes back with a tiny chimp screeching loudly. The chimp runs off. The chimp comes back. Tim picks her up and then drops her. Of course, I'll have to get it. Ape sounds are heard on the line. Who is that man? I can't take it anymore. Tune in next week for the continuing saga of I Married a Monkey. Retro Futuristic Office. Fred and Dick are laughing. <laughs> that was excellent TV. I know. This new cast has real talent and is doing some really interesting stuff. Huh. Sometimes the suits know what they're doing while in charge. Music stage. Chevy Chase stands on stage to introduce the musical guest. Ladies and gentlemen, your musical guests for the evening. Fear. One, two, three, fuck you, New York! <laughs> the music bleeds into retro futuristic office. This is worse than I thought. I guarantee you they get better. We're going to get a lot of network complaints. I can already tell. Music stage. A throng of skinheads gather on the stage and start moshing. Thank you, New Jersey. We hate New York. This song is dedicated to this shithole. The moshers go everywhere, flying off the stage into one another. Retrofuturistic office. Fred reaches for the phone to the censors. I'm calling the censors now. We're going to have to cut. But then Belushi won't host. Let's give them another minute. Forget Bel Belushi. This isn't worth it. No more bowing down to these idiotic young comics. NBC is not letting these punks do a second song. But the ratings, I need this. Think of the lawsuits. Now this is comedy, the ratings, the lawsuits. Uh, you two couldn't care less about the show or comedy. These fatties are funny. No, we do care. This sucks. You're right. Go ahead and tell the censors to cut to black, Fred. We'll go to Weekend Update and everything will be fine. Pussies. You know we can but you won't. That's what makes it great. Weekend Update. Chevy Chase sits at the Weekend Update desk. And now, Weekend Update with Chevy Chase. Good evening. I'm Chevy Chase, and you still aren't. And now to talk about the new Saturday Night Live staff, and of course, himself. Here's Mr. Al Franken. Al Franken slides in. Fred size. Oh, oh my God, you put my old curly-haired enemy back on TV? He's funny. He should be on his best behavior, too. Thanks, Chevy. It's nice to see somebody else from the old show. You know, most of you probably know me, Al Franken, from the Al Franken Decade Reports I did last year from the original Saturday Night Live. Now, over the last six months, I have suffered countless incidents of personal embarrassment from people coming up to me, Al Franken, asking me, Al, Al Franken? Are you writing for the show? I am here tonight to set the record straight and let people know that I am not involved in any way with the new show. 
Lorne Michaels decided after last season it was time to go on to different things. So after five golden years, Lorne decided to leave, and so did those close to him, including me, Al Franken. So NBC had to pick a new producer. You know this. You're watching the play about it. Now, most knowledgeable people, as you might imagine, hoped it would be me, Al Franken. But instead, without consulting the show's staff or cast, NBC picked Gene Domian, an associate producer on the show. <laughs> now, I don't want to be cruel to Gene because it might make you think less of me, Al Franken. Anyway, it took NBC 12 shows to figure out their horrendous mistake. And a month ago, they fired Gene. Okay, now who do they pick up to rectify the original error? Someone who knows what they're doing, like me, Al Franken? No, they pick Dick Ebersol. I know Dick, and I can tell you that he doesn't know Dick. Okay, now the show's going to be a little better with Dick. No English-speaking person could do a worse job than Gene. But it's clearly time to yank this tired old format off the air. So if you're wondering what you can do for me, Al Franken, please write a card or letter to put SNL to sleep, 30 Rockefeller Plaza, New York, New York, 10020. Let's put this show out of its misery. Also, I'm set to host next week. Al Franken, everybody. Al slides off in his chair and the weekend update set goes to dark. Al walks into the office with Dick, Fred, and O'Donohue. O'Donohue is howling with laughter. What the fuck was that? A little bit of humor for me, Al Franken. Dick punches Al square in the nose. Al lands on the ground. Hey, what was that about? A little bit of humor from me, Dick Ebersol. You're not hosting next week anymore, you shit. Now get out. Jesus, what was that for? I remember limo for lame you clown. You're not welcome here. God, it's no wonder this show isn't funny. No one at NBC can take a joke. Get out. Fine. Al Franken is going. You'll never work for Saturday Night Live again. Al Franken came back to the show as a writer in 1985 and stayed on until 1995. They even based a film on his character, Stuart Smalley. He went on to write multiple best-selling books and became a powerful Minnesota politician. He was later ousted as part of the Me Too movement. That really was the end of the Al Franken decade. Shut up, Don Pardo. Michael pulls a newspaper out of his back pocket. So I don't know if you two plebs have been reading the trades, but there's a writer's strike looming. Yeah, I heard. And with the season being pretty much a lost cause, what with you firing out Franken from hosting, you think we could just call it after tonight's episode? What are you saying? He makes a good point. That way, we don't have to let Al the Joker idiot back in. May I go announce on air that this is our finale? No. No. We'll figure this all out later. You're welcome. Home base. Chevy stands on stage with the rest of the cast and crew for the show's good nights. All right, everyone. I want to thank Dick and the cast and the crew. We did our best. Saxophone music plays wistfully. Don Pardo speaks over the music. Returning next season, Eddie Murphy. He goes on to become the biggest comedy star of the 1980s with 48 Hours, Beverly Hills Cop, Trading Places, Coming to America, and his number one single, Party All the Time. The spotlight is shown over Eddie. He triumphantly raises a fist in the air. Joe Piscopo. He ran for office in New Jersey, and Frank Sinatra considered his impression to be the best. Tim Kazerinsky. This is the guy that was in Police Academy. Me? Yes, you, Robin Duke. Wow!
know, this is my first line in the whole play. You might recognize her from small parts in Groundhog's Day, Schitt's Creek, and Man Seeking Woman, and Tony Rosado. Second guy in the monkey sketch? You made it. Later on, you voice Luigi in Super Mario cartoons and play a villain in Resident Evil 3, the video game. Everyone else, this was your final episode. Let's go down on all the cast members that did not make it to the next season. I'm sorry, Denny Dillon, Gail Mathias, Emily Prager, Laurie Metcalf, and Yvonne Hudson. You all deserved better. And Don Pardo, I hate to break it to you, but we're cutting you too. But, but I'm Don Pardo. Exactly. Her old hat, old news, boring, blah, ugh. Uh, we want new life. The director, Dave Wilson, is out too. Don Pardo walks on stage. He's in tears and has a microphone in hand. It was an honor. Can I make one final announcement? Fine, just just one. Michael O'Donoghue lasted just one more season with the show, bringing in fringe alt-comedy writer heroes like Terry Southern and Nelson Lyon until Dick could no longer take it. He was rightfully let go. He co-wrote the Bill Murray film Scrooge, but none of his other films were produced. He died in 1994. I came back to the show in 1982 and announced until I passed away in 2014 at the age of 96. Get out of here, old man. It's me and Dick running the show now. All right. I have a lot of big ideas for the next year. Ambitious, artistic, and wild stuff that will blow all of your minds. It will all still be fun, positive, and I think- My first piece is called Silverman's Bunker. It's an indictment of Fred Silverman, our idiot NBC head of programming's last days playing out just like Hitler's final days. We're going to, to rip them apart, make the NBC logo look like a swastika, and uh, uh, make old Fred look out to be like he's worse than Nazis. Grand satire. Actually, we're not doing that at all. I want you out too now. You can't fire me. I bring the danger. Well, why don't you bring the danger elsewhere and get off my stage? Ow, what the fuck? And that's how you bite the hand that feeds. I don't need any of you. This isn't the last you've heard of Michael O'Donoghue. He trips on his walk out. Everyone laughs. All right, guys, season's over. It's a lost cause. We're not going to do the show next week because of the writer's strike and I hate Al Franken. Have a good summer. Rest up. Write a bunch of stuff. I'm going to get Don Pardo back and we'll be better than ever next year. To end this play, you need a little bit more information before we can fade out. Dick ran the show until 1985. His next few seasons, the show was fine, but not great. It did explode in popularity, though, as Eddie became a bigger superstar than the show had ever seen. In 1984, Eddie left and Ebersol brought in comedy ringers Billy Crystal, Martin Short, and Christopher Guest. The show had a mini renaissance. In 1985, a floundering Lorne Michaels returned to reclaim his throne and has been here ever since. Suddenly it lights up and everyone we've seen from the play is on stage milling about. In 2015, Saturday Night Live had a 40th anniversary reunion show celebrating the highs and lows of the show with everyone that had been involved. Lauren, much older, steps front and center. Thank you all for coming to the 40th anniversary of Saturday Night Live. Can't believe it's been 40 years. And I can't believe we survived the early 80s. Let's just say Gene Dominion was not invited to tonight's show. I'm here. 
Everyone on stage claps. Jean scrapes her way to where Lauren is. I'm here, Lauren. Eddie Murphy face bumps. Oh, God. She's going to ruin the show again. I just wanted to say that I'm honored to be here, and I tried my best. Off my stage. You know what? No. I took a job no one wanted, a woman in 1980 at the center of a historic voice club, and I kept the show on its feet. It wasn't perfect, but it continued to exist because of me. You wouldn't have gotten your victory lap if it wasn't for me. Well, I... A slow clap, it started from far back. Dick Ebersol walks up from the back, clapping. Everyone else starts applauding. He makes his way to Jean and puts his arm around her shoulder. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Jean. Everyone behind the claps. We all owe you an apology. As Lauren can probably attest, running this show is hard as hell. And Jean did a beautiful job. We were probably all a little too hard on you, and I'm sorry. Thank you. That's all I needed to hear. I'm sorry, too. Too little, too late. You can't make 35 years of being an absolute horror to me go away by saying sorry. She takes out the whip from the leather weather sketch at the beginning and whips Lauren Dick. I'm good now. Gene goes to the back and fades in again. Lauren starts talking and the curtains close. I remember when Belushi and Chevy once said to me, Gene's career never really took off after SNL. She continued producing Woody Allen films until a disagreement ended their creative partnership in 2001. Rumor has it she was shaving profits off his films, but was never confirmed. These days, she runs her own production company. Her office is very stylishly decorated. The season really wasn't that good. I'll admit it, but I loved it. Bring back Belushi! <laughs> Hey, Maddie. Yeah, I'm birthday, buddy. My mom watched the whole thing. Yes. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be so sad if your mom left halfway. That'd be really the saddest thing. <laughs> she had better things uh. to do. So, that was the play. Would it work as a stage play? I'd love to find out. Would I love Gene Demania to produce it? Absolutely. Would she? I don't know. Hopefully this gets in her hands. As for Unmade Dream Projects, I've been Matt Levy, and I hope to see you soon with another project I haven't made yet. <laughs>